0: This podcast is a production of Journey, a church community, inspiring people to live big. For more information, please visit cincyjourney.org. Lord God, we are grateful. We're grateful for your presence. We're grateful that we just had an opportunity to come together and to sing of your power, in your strength, in your love. And as we open up um, your scripture and we look at some stories, we just ask that you stir in our hearts, in our minds, and that you teach us the lessons that you want us to hear today. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, welcome to week number three in our series entitled Outcasts. And uh, before we jump too far in, let me just pause and tell you where this whole series came from, where this idea comes from. Um, We know that the most common human emotion, or at least one of the most common human emotions, is loneliness and isolation. Feeling somehow separated from the people around us. And those feelings are especially true when we find ourselves in moments that are maybe filled with tension or transition or making some kind of change in life or work or just trouble. In other words, things aren't going as we planned. Life isn't moving quite the way we thought that it would. And so what happens so often in moments like that is we begin to feel different than the people around us. And then we begin to look at all the people around us and we compare our situations and our troubles with theirs and we begin to say, you know what? They don't have to deal with that and they don't have to deal with that and they they don't have this going on in their life. And all of those things, they kind of build the story inside of us. It says we're different. We end up feeling denied, rejected. Somehow, like, we're on the outside and we're looking in. We're outcasts. And that's tough when it's a situation at work. That's tough when it's a social group. That's tough when it's a romantic relationship. But it's really, really hard when we have those feelings about God or the church. It's so those last ones that we really want to zoom in on on this series. And so what we did is we said, you know what, the five weeks after Easter, we want to really, we want to attack these ideas. And so we're going to look at five different times. Five different times in which Jesus doesn't go after the people who we think he goes after. Doesn't go after the people who have it all together, that uh, look the part. He goes after these people who have been pushed to the margins, goes after the outcast. Week number one, we looked at some parables that Jesus told. This happened in Luke chapter 15. If you remember, uh, he told a parable about a shepherd who had a hundred sheep, and he lost one, and it wandered off, and he goes on this massive search. He looks high and low, all everywhere that he can. He spares no energy to find the lost sheep. And then he goes on and he tells a very similar story. He says, you know what? There was a woman, and she was a, she was a poor woman, and she lost a coin. Not like pocket change, but like a day's wages. A tenth of all that she had saved up. She tears the house apart. She's looking everywhere, high and low. She's retracing her steps. And then, what's similar in both of the stories is what happens when they find what was lost. You remember? They get out their phones, and they call all their friends, and they say, let's have a party. Okay, maybe not the phone part, but, right, they, they're so excited. They, they call all their friends over, and they say, you know what, um, I, you wouldn't believe what I went through. This sheep, it wandered way out in the woods, and it was stuck, and I, I, got, I had to get all wet and muddy, and, and the woman, she's telling about the coin, she's like, I thought it was gone, I I thought I'd never see it again. I, I spent hours the whole day looking for it, and now I found it. And they call everybody together, and they're just so excited because what was lost has been found. And then Jesus, after he tells these stories, he adds this piece. Just in case we don't get it, he says, in the same way, when a son of God, when a daughter of God, when one of us who has wandered away, one of us who has become lost, one of us who is separated from Him, turns around, comes back, crosses the line of faith, invites God into the center of our life. God puts a great big smile on His face and throws a big party in heaven. And this story, these stories, they're so key, they're so essential to Scripture, but to the series because they reveal something about. God to us. They reveal God's heart towards us. So many times we think that God is angry and impatient. Maybe we know enough of Scripture, maybe we've been around the church just a little bit, and, and we know enough to know that God is forgiving, but we think that He forgives us begrudgingly like he doesn't really want to do it, but he you know he he knows he should. That's not the picture Jesus paints in this passage. In this passage, it's a picture of God waiting patiently in heaven, with his arms open wide, waiting and wanting to forgive. What's so key and what ties these stories and God's posture? to this whole outcast series, is the context. If you remember, Jesus is talking with some Pharisees. And the Pharisees, the religious teachers of the day in this part of Luke 15, they are, um, they're upset with Jesus because he's hanging out with the wrong people. And they're, they're looking down on him. They're talking bad about him. And these are the stories he turns around and tells These are the people I came to find, he says. And so in week number one, we looked at how Jesus comes directly after those who are pushed to the margins, the outcasts, especially those who kind of have been judged and put to the margins by other people. Week number two, we looked at... uh, How sometimes we're not just made to feel like an outcast by outsiders, by the judgments of others, but how so many times a more powerful voice is the internal voice. Maybe we got judged somewhere along the lines, but then we uh, started kind of repeating this negative uh, thoughts in our minds. They just kept going again and again and again. To do this, we looked at the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, the tax collector who turned his life around. If you remember uh, Zacchaeus, he's got lots of enemies because he's a tax collector for the foreign Roman government, and he keeps a little bit on top. He's becoming rich by kind of taking extra from uh, those around him. And while, you know, he, he has all of this... Um, uh, wealth and power because of his position. He also has this great deal of social isolation. He's pushed out from circles from all the other people. In other words, he's got money and he's got power, but he's got nobody to share it with. And So we have to at least think that there are levels of shame and these personal negative kind of thoughts that are going through Zacchaeus's mind. And um, this is one of the things that Jesus recognizes in Zacchaeus. And so the first thing that he does, if you remember, Zacchaeus, has, uh, he's trying to get away from the crowd but still see Jesus. So he's climbed up a tree, and Jesus and the crowd, they come up, and Jesus stops and says, Zacchaeus. Now, they had never met before, but Jesus knows what Zacchaeus needs, what he longs for what he desires, and he longs to be known. And so Jesus calls him by what we all love to hear, his name. In essence, he says, I know you, Zacchaeus. Then he continues on the story, or he continues on and he says, you know what, Um, I have to come to your house today. Now, again, in this society, uh, it is vastly important. We can't overstate how big of a deal it was to kind of make a statement like that, to have a meal with somebody, to join somebody in their home. It was saying, I want to be associated with you. I want, I want everybody to know that we're in the same group. We're in the same circle. That's what Jesus was saying to Zacchaeus in the crowd. Begin began to murmur. This guy's a sinner, we don't, we don't like him. What's Jesus doing? And in that moment, something incredible happens. Zacchaeus stands up as tall as he can, in this heart who had been focused on greed and selfishness for so long, about lording his power over people, all of a sudden was changed, His heart was changed, and he became concerned with justice generosity. And he says, he says, I'm going to give half of my wealth away to the poor. And anybody who I have cheated, anybody who I have wronged, I'm going to give you back four times the amount. And Jesus says, surely salvation has come to this house. And so in these first two weeks, we've seen how um, Jesus comes after the outcast, who's kind of pushed to the mar- margins by the judgments of others. We've seen how Jesus speaks to our kind of internal needs when we have these voices, in these negative thoughts that keep us on the margins, keep us on the outside, and how He speaks directly to those thoughts of shame and guilt. This week, this week what we want to talk about is how sometimes we can be on the inside but still feel like we're missing out. In life, that looks something like this. Finally got that promotion, you finally got that car, you finally moved to that house that you always thought you wanted, and for a while... It was exciting for a while. It brought you meaning for a while. It kind of justified you. You you thought, yes, I have arrived. But then at some point, you realize I have all these things that are supposed to make me happy, but I'm not really sure I'm any happier than I was before. In faith, this is the one I really want to talk about today. It looks something like this We begin to think of ourselves as self-made. We pulled ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We made the career the way it is. We provided for our own needs. We pride ourselves on our lack of dependence on anyone or anything. And we begin to manage God out of all the details of our life. And sometimes we're sitting there, and despite all this self-sufficiency, we have this voice inside us saying, isn't there something more? Isn't there something more to faith? Isn't there something more to life? In short, the spiritual challenge that so many of us face, the spiritual challenge that so many of us who feel like we have arrived and made it on our own that we face is ingratitude. Not being thankful for the part and the ways that God has blessed and been in our life. Maybe a story could help us understand this. There was a woman, let's call her Sue, and she was at work, and it was a busy day, but she wasn't feeling well, and so she went to the doctor, and she goes to the doctor, and he says, yes, yes, you've got this wrong with you, Uh, and he's going to go write her a prescription, but it takes a long time, as it does sometimes at the doctor's office, right? Right? And she's sitting there, and she's growing more and more impatient, and she's beginning to kind of make a mental list of all the things that she's got to do. She's thinking about all the emails she's missing. She's thinking about all the things that have got to happen with the kids and all these pieces, and she's not feeling well. And finally, the doctor comes back with the prescription. She runs out to the car. She's driving to the pharmacy, just, you know, kind of mulling over this to-do list. It begins to rain. Not just a little sprinkle, I mean, like the rain we've been having the last week. I mean, it's really pouring outside. And so now she's in the car, she's rushed Uh, She's not feeling good. She's got, you know, this mental list that's just growing and growing, and now it's raining. And all of this, it drives her to prayer. And she says, God, God, please, let there just be a parking spot, like, right up in the front. You know how I feel. You know, I I don't feel good. You know, I got all this stuff to do. Let me just find a spot really close to the front so I can kind of zip out and zip back in and get on with all the things I have to do. And so as Sue is, is kind of articulating this prayer, she's driving in in some brake lights, are like at the primo spot in the parking lot, the one right next to the doors. They come on. She closes her prayer. She says, never mind, God. Something's opened up. I got this all by myself. Right? There's some ingratitude there. But too many times we act like Sue. It's kind of a silly example, but we can see parts of our life where we do things like that. We get so focused on our to-do list, on all the things that we have to accomplish, on all the things that um, are maybe our responsibility. We forget to ever be thankful for the ways that God moves and works in our life. We even ask God, help us, be with us, right up to the point we say, never mind, I got this, you're taking too long, I'll take over. This week, I was... Reading for the passages that we're about to read here in just a moment. And I was reading this commentary, and there was this one line, and it just stopped me right where I was. The line is this Gratitude may be the purest measure of one's character and spiritual. I just read that for you one more time? Gratitude, being thankful, living our life out of that kind of posture, that, that place of deep, deep thankfulness might be the purest measure of one's character and spiritual condition. You know what those words mean? It means if we've crossed the line of faith and we're wondering, how am I doing with God? How is this all really working? I mean, it's been a while now. What am I supposed to be experiencing? What am I supposed to be learning? What what is God supposed to be teaching me? How is this relationship supposed to be progressing? The best question we can ask ourselves in moments like that is how thankful am I? What's my level of gratitude? Am I living out of a place of gratitude? Right? Because it's not just uh, some things are going well. The sun came up finally. uh, Somebody held the door for me. And I said, thank you. I mean, those are nice things. But that's different than living out of gratitude. Right? Living out of gratitude just kind of comes out of us. It's a place we live One of the things I pray that we learn today is that if we are really on the inside of God's grace and mercy, and what I mean by that is we like we experience it fully, we understand it, it touches all of our life. It's a place we live from. I want to be there. I hope. You do too. But if we're going to be really on the inside of God's grace and mercy, the people who are like that, they have one character trait in common. Yes, they've invited God into their life. Yes, they've crossed the line of faith. But they have this one character trait. They're thankful. I mean, every time you see them, in every circumstance, in every situation... One such person was Matthew Henry. He's a famous preacher and author from many years ago, and he was on his way uh, to uh, teach somewhere, to preach somewhere. And on his way, he was robbed. Not many good things we can say, right, about being robbed, but listen to his response. I'm thankful that during all these years, I've never been robbed before. And also, even though they took my money, they did not take my life. And although they took all that I had, it wasn't much. Finally, I'm grateful that it was I who was robbed and not I who robbed. Just this... This uh, kind of reminder, right? This illustration of how important it is to be thankful and how we can be thankful in so many circumstances in all situations of life. Well, we've talked a lot about being thankful today, and I hope that you see the importance of being thankful in our passage. We're going to be looking today at Luke chapter 17, Verses 11 through 19, if you want to look it up in your smartphone, if you've got a Bible, uh, the words hopefully will be on the screen behind me. I'll give you just a moment, Luke 17, verses 11 through 19. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee, and how, as he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy, they met him. And they stood at a distance, and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And when he saw them, he said, Go, show yourself to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, he came back praising God in a loud voice, matching the call for mercy earlier. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and he thanked him. And he was a Samaritan, an outsider on top of having leprosy. Jesus asked, were not all ten men healed, cleansed? Where are the others? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner, this outsider? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Now, Leprosy in the first century, in Jesus' day, was synonymous with being an outcast. It was this uh, physical disease that had uh, made kind of some deformities. There was no hiding leprosy. And uh, if you were found to have it, here were the rules written in Scripture. Numbers chapter 5, verse 23, you were required to live outside the camp. You had to live outside the city. You had to live away from your family, your friends, everything that you knew, never to return. It goes on, Leviticus chapter 13. Not only were you required to live outside the camp, but every time that you met someone who didn't have leprosy, like you were traveling on the road and you saw someone coming down towards you, you were required by law to to shout out, unclean, unclean. So that person knew you had leprosy and they could make a decision. Hey, do I want to go around? Do I want to turn her back and go the other way? How do I avoid this person? Lastly, a little bit later in Leviticus 14, not only did you have to live outside the community, not only did you have to shout, unclean, unclean. If you thought you were getting better, You couldn't declare yourself healed. You had to um, go to a priest, and they did a full examination of you, and they were the ones who told you whether or not you were able to reenter society. So they were real outcasts. And so the first surprise of the ten lepers is that Jesus interacts with them. They're used to people turning and going the other way. But Jesus, he interacts with them and he uh, responds to their call for mercy. They, you can tell from the text, they know something uh, about this man, Jesus. They've heard of him. And so they, they know that he has, he's a prophet, that he has some powers, that he might even have this power to heal this terrible disease they have. So they're calling out for mercy. And Jesus responds kind of in a way that's different than his normal response. He doesn't uh, pronounce them healed. He doesn't uh, uh, do anything else. He just says, go see the priest. And it was as they traveled. It, It doesn't appear that they were healed then. It says, as they traveled, they were healed. And you can imagine as they were kind of getting better with each step that they took, the thoughts that were flooding their minds, thinking, wait, wait, can I go back to my family? Can I see my friends again? Can I actually watch kids play? Can I sit down to dinner with a friend? All of these thoughts, they're just kind of circling in their minds. But only one. Only one breaks away from kind of these thoughts of returning to life as it was before. He begins to wonder, maybe there's something even better. He becomes overwhelmed with gratitude and awe at the power that healed him. And so one leper returns. A Samaritan, an outsider And Jesus is, uh, at least appears, a little perplexed from the story, right? His question is, weren't all ten healed? What happened here? Where where are the other nine? Why has only one come back with this proper response of just overwhelming gratitude and thanks? He, of course, doesn't know. Then in verse 19, Jesus says, rise, your faith has made you well. Now that word, well, could just as easily be translated, your faith has saved you. The Samaritan leper receives something even better than physical healing. He's got full acceptance with God. The Apostle Paul In a different passage, talking to a different group of people in Romans chapter 1, verse 21, he's got the same kind of warning that we get here in Luke about ingratitude. He says, yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks and they began to think, think up foolish ideas. There's a little James Earl Jones right there. <laughs> That's probably better than me. Um, they began to kind of, uh, they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. And as a result, their minds became dark and confused. That's the result of not being. This other nine, they act like we do so often. They were so preoccupied, so focused on what's next, so focused on, you know, even good things. But so focused on their agenda, what was happening in their life at that moment, They missed. They missed what God had done. They missed this opportunity to praise God, to give Him thanks. And it's clear from how Jesus responds, they missed something significant. Their ingratitude makes them miss something very important. We don't get to know what was going on in their minds Maybe some of their foolish ideas are kind of like ours. Somewhere along the way, maybe they began to feel entitled, like they deserved it. They deserved the healing. They were just, and it happened, maybe maybe their attitude was, it's about time. We don't know, but they just, they continued on focused on their agenda, their timetable, their life, and they missed what God wanted to do in them, really. God moves in our lives in miraculous ways. Miraculous ways. And 90% of the time, we act just like the nine. Just go on their way. Focused on what's next. Focused on the to-do list. Focused on something else. Too busy. Too self-sufficient. Too selfish. To respond properly. With gratitude and thanks for all that God has done. The best way. The best way for me, the best way for you to be deep inside that circle of God's grace and love is to have that attitude of thankfulness. And again, not just I'm saying thanks because it's nice outside. I'm saying thanks because somebody opened the door for me. But this place we live our life from. We were absolutely overwhelmed, right? That's what this first leper experienced. He's absolutely overwhelmed at what God has done. And he has no idea what to do next, except he has to say thank you to God. That's where his life is being lived out of, this moment of gratitude. Today, is we kind of wrap up our time together, I think the proper response is to repent. Repent of our ingratitude. Because surely, as you heard these words in in Luke 17, surely as you thought about these ten lepers in this one, only one responds. Some situations, some moments in life you're seeing differently. You're seeing ways in which you are focused on what's next. You're seeing ways in which you are focused on kind of getting back to the way things were before and you missed what God really wanted to do the healing, the, the spiritual thing He really wanted to do in your heart, in your life. To Many times I've acted like the nine who just went on with life, went on to what was next rather than being thankful for what God did in the now. As you kind of reflect on that and you think about some ways in which maybe you could be more thankful, you think about some scenarios in which um, you need to repent say to god you know i'm sorry i know i didn't have the heart of the one leper i had the heart of the nine this last week this last month this last year because these verses in luke 17 they're they're not there so that we read them and we go you know what i i, I got this figured out i got this thankfulness thing down i mean 90 percent nine or nine of the ten right they're ungrateful I think that's the message Jesus wants to bring to us. Too often, that's how we respond.